Welcome to Remember When. I remember I was at his house. I, I can remember specifically. Do you recall uh, when you got yours? Remember when they played that? Remember I remember that. that. Basic. I remember yep. that. Then I remember, um, still remember. I remember us. And I remember, I remember that. I remember, I remember, but, I remember uh, that. Cause I remember that as he, he was a star when he was eating uh, a bologna sandwich at a truck stop. Guns N' Roses versions of White Christmas. That's not a thing. <laughs> Have you heard Guns N' Roses White Christmas? I remember, um, you felt horrible and I was, that was a I real did. happy. No. And, and he's performing like 200 dates a year. I mean, hair metal needed to die when it died. Wasn't Bad. there a, a, Steve, wasn't there something with a dog? Break down really quick. Warren Cherry Pie versus, versus uh, GNR. Uh, uh, Welcome to the Jungle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Welcome to Remember When. Scott Wood here. Happy March Madness to everyone. Probably my favorite time of the year right now. What's up, Steve? What's going on? I'm sticky sweet from my head to my feet, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good, man. Hey, uh, interesting news. I don't know if you've been following Oxford Wildcat basketball. They uh, made the state Sweet 16. Yeah, I heard that. You know, uh, they uh, they uh, uh, peaked uh, at the last time was about 1993. There was this uh, gangly six foot four guy. I remember played for them, number 54. I don't remember his name, but he made a winning shot in the district finals. Right? Wasn't that the last time we uh, even even went anywhere in the playoffs? That was the last year they did win a district. Yeah, um, but it's actually the farthest they've gone since 1948. Wow! I believe that. Wow! Yeah, That's they awesome. had one. Yeah, it was great. I, and uh, so, congratulations to uh, Coach Laidlaw, uh, who actually was an assistant back when I played in '93. Oh, is he the head uh, coach? Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's awesome. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, I sent him a, a note uh, last week, just congratulating him, and just really happy for him. Um, I think he was there. I think this is his second stint as head coach there. And uh, just had a great year. I, they I think they went twenty three and two. Um, so just yeah. to, they they got of a killer district. Uh, beat Lake Orion in the finals, and I then saw that. Uh, and actually the team they lost to in the Sweet Sixteen um, made the Final Four. Hmm. So they just got knocked out. So, but anyways, great year, Oxford. I thought I'd mention that since uh, we talk a lot about Oxford. And, yeah, and, fight on, yeah. Wildcats, fight, baby. <laughs> but good. Hey, uh, so Steve, I. I'm going to let you kind of take the lead this week. Uh, I know we've continued to fill up our calendar with guests. We had a really, in the last month, uh, some great conversations with Mr. Jason Filan. We talked a little Pistons. And we also had some great conversations on some concerts with uh, with Jason Hall. Um, I know we've got another special guest this week. I'll, I'll kind of let you take it from here. And uh, looking forward to this week. All right. Yeah. So I, um, as anybody who's listened uh, to our podcast would, would know, I, I relocated a few months ago from uh, Columbus, Ohio, in Upper Arlington specifically, which is kind of in the center of Columbus. Columbus is the capital of the of the state, and uh, Upper Arlington is is just west of of the university of the Ohio State University, and. Um, 
the best street in Upper Arlington by far is Essex Road, which is where I lived for about 10 years. And uh, our guest today was one of my neighbors, also on Essex Road. His name's uh, Gregor Gilliam. So, hey, Gregor, thanks for thanks for joining us. Hey, Steve. Hey, Scott. Thanks. It's, uh, it's a real treat. I appreciate your asking me on. Yeah, it should be fun, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, early on in the podcast, um, uh, Gregor and I had talked about, I think he was one of the first people I said, uh, I told, like, hey, we're starting a podcast. Um, and, and that was because we had a, a long history of talking about lots of topics, including including music. And we, uh, Gregor and myself, along with uh, who was my next door neighbor, we all lived on the same side of the street within the same block. Southeast. Uh, South, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, uh, Dave Voss lived next door to me, and uh, Gregor. They both lived on the street before we moved in. But uh, Gregor and Dave, they they uh, you know been friends for a long time, and um, we started a pretty cool tradition that are some of the highlights of my of of the memories I have living on Essex Road in Upper Arlington, Ohio for about 10 years and that was what we called Rock Dock and um I'll, uh, it started watching Led Zeppelin's uh, 2007-02 reunion tour on New Year's Eve for, uh, 2012 going into the new year 2013 and something that Dave, Gregor, and I continued for uh, right up until uh, we moved last year. So, uh, Gregor, you want to go in a little bit more into what Rock Doc uh, was? Yeah, it it was a really cool tradition. I've, it was kind of like a club that the three of us were in. I think word might have gotten around the street that it was happening. I think other people were interested, but it was kind of our special thing, and and it it kind of grew organically. I, I, actually, I don't I didn't know uh, either family all that well. It, you know, just passing on the street, and then one day I remember talking to Steve, and we realized we both really love Queen. And then I really learned that Steve knew more about Queen than any living human being that I I knew of. And that just evolved into this ongoing passing dialogue about rock and roll and concerts and live music. And then we had this uh, New Year's Eve viewing of the Zeppelin show, which sort of solidified it. And we said, well, let's 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 do this again. And it was a combination of getting together. Uh, it rotated from house to house. Uh, whoever hosted it had to come up with an interesting cocktail that no one had ever had before. <laughs> so, so, so we ended up uh, acquiring a lot of interesting uh, cocktail accoutrement. So we had, you know, we we made we went out of our way to make cl- perfectly clear ice and chip it off of a block. Yeah. And we we really raised the cocktail game for the Rock Dog viewings. Yeah. Well, hey, first before let me let me talk about the ice because uh, Gregor <laughs> glazed over that a little bit. Uh, yeah. But but he he was the ice ice master of so <laughs> anything from like he said like one time you came over and you you you'd make the clear block of ice and you had like a chisel right. Yeah. But mm-hmm. then you also did different shapes right. There was yeah. there was Lando Calrissian or, or I guess under Han Solo frozen Han, and yeah, right in there mm-hmm. right. So so yeah, and I've seen that actually in Portland a little bit this this whole ice phenomenon so where yeah. did you learn about that or what got you into that uh, i i was always kind of fascinated by the cocktail culture and there were a couple of uh, guys who had a technology startup but were also not in columbus i just followed them online 
and they decided that they were in pursuit of creating the perfect clear perfectly clear like glacial block of ice and it actually takes a lot of interesting science to get the bubbles out of it and they released this product that lets you do it at home and then it comes with a bag and you throw the ice in it you chip it with a chisel and and uh it's it's a it's a fun kind of physical activity, but it 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 is as good as anything you'll find in the best cocktails uh, bars in New York. So, you know that became part of it. And actually, the, the first thing we did with ice is we had a, a skull ice mold. So we used to make skull shaped ice, and I think for a while we called this group the let's see the the ice skull rock doc society and i'm still working on a t-shirt so <laughs> someday you're that's going to show up in the mail but uh <laughs> the the drinks got crazier and crazier and more experimental so we'd ended up blowing the first hour and a half just talking about the cocktails and then eventually <laughs> get, getting onto the movie and, and we saw a really interesting range over the years of 10 or 12 different movies from live performances to uh, some of them were obscure documentaries. Other words were pretty interesting. Um, but I learned a lot about music, um, especially talking to you and Dave, because I'm a little bit older than you guys. And, you know, you're imprinted on the music you hear when you're in middle school and maybe early high school. Mm-hmm. So I was imprinted with a, a slightly different uh, musical taste than you guys. And you guys were almost identical in, in your love for heavy metal. <laughs> and, you know, you're sort of your sort of rejection of a lot of other music that came along at the same time. <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, I, I rejected the, the grunge movement just like you did, but for different reasons. We kind of have that in common. Um, but you guys opened, opened my eyes to a, a lot of bands that I wasn't into. And hopefully I did the same for you, but, but I will say proudly because I was listening to you guys talk to Jason about the ultimate concert experience. And then later you, you did your discussion of your top five. And I'm very proud to say that the very first rock show I ever went to was, you could say, a heavy metal show. It was Def Leppard, Pyromania. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, you, you always joke, Steve, that, you, you know, you miss bands at their peak. You always see them 20, <laughs> 30 years too late. Well, believe me, that was seeing Def Leppard at, at, at their peak, at least in the United States. I oh, mean, yeah. Were, Pyromania the was hottest. the peak. Yeah, they were the hottest band in the country, and the local radio station QFM did a did a contest, and they 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 claimed they opened it up to the listeners and said, "Who of any band in the world would you like us to really go out and get?" Because Columbus was not on the touring map that much back then, and hands down, it was Def Leppard, and they got him, and it was that was a good first concert to experience as uh, a fifteen or sixteen year old. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. You know, the funny thing is, and I, I, I think we talked about this at some point, but Dave, our mutual friend there in Ohio, he saw that he saw them uh, support Pyromania down in Dallas, Texas as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And just uh, true, true to form, I saw Def Leppard for the first and only time about three, four years ago. So <laughs> um, was that the Poison <laughs> Tour? No, that would have been great. But actually, because uh, I'm, I'm a proud Poison fan, but um, it was actually Night Ranger and then Foreigner. So it was, yeah, it was a fun night. It was a fun night. But um, yes, yeah, not, uh, it was a, a couple of years past uh, their, their peak. Yeah, you're right. I think the pyromania. I mean, hysteria. That was the that was really the mainstream hit. But when right. you saw the pyromania, that's when they were hot. And that yeah. was that was the true roots of uh, of Def Leppard right there. 
Yeah. Every song on that album is good. Yeah. And I remember when we were in the third row and we were on the side. So, you know, we're, we're, we're next to this wall of speakers. And my best friend at the time had gone to tons of shows because he had an older brother. And I always envied dudes with older brothers because yeah. they brought them that. into the music scene so much earlier. They had the albums. They had the stereo. They, they had they knew the routine. I didn't have that. So I was kind of living vicariously through him. So we go to this show and he knew that if you're going to be that close to that tower, that wall of speakers, you better put something in your ears. So we did just to protect our hearing a little bit. It was so loud. Some people left the area and some people snuck in. And this one guy looks up at me and he's like, how, how are you guys not in pain right now? It was <laughs> yeah. so loud. And we we had just enough cotton to protect our hearing, but I mean it was amazing. The first concert T-shirt I ever bought was a sleeveless Union Jack. Nice, <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> well, Joe Elliott, Joe Elliott famously wore the uh, Def Leppard Union Jack T-shirt on the Pour Some Sugar on Me video, right? Like, yeah. isn't that the number one thing in a band? You're not supposed to do wear your own T-shirt. But, uh, <laughs> exactly. I, I work with a guy who was at the taping of that video actually in uh, in Denver. Um, You're kidding. No, no. But I think they did over two nights. But he was he was there one of the nights. I, I still gotta say not to, not to change gears too much, but we talk about not wearing your own T-shirt, but. Uh... <laughs> we cracked up Steve with that picture on Facebook of Bob Seger with Alice Cooper. <laughs> it's, it's classic. It's like everything a rock star is and every, everything a rock star isn't. I don't know if you yeah. want to tell uh, Gregor about that picture we saw of Seger yeah. with, with – yeah, well, first of all, uh, let me say, uh, um, uh, Gregor, uh, Gregor and I saw, and this was actually in my top concerts. Gregor and I saw Bob Seger and Jake Isles together uh, a few That's years right. ago. But uh, yeah, he's he's wearing his own, he's wearing a Bob Seger shirt, right? Oh. <laughs> and and uh, you know, not just not just because uh, working at Nike, but uh, even even worse, he's wearing these white, uh, uh, bright white. Big, big, puffy uh, New Balance, uh, and, oh. and then yeah, it looking like a grandpa's grandpa. And then Alice Cooper, who is actually older, right? I think even you know several years older is he's you know, seventy one. Cooper's okay. seventy one. He's yeah, years younger. Seager's like sixty four, but uh, yeah, Alice Cooper's still you know looking good. I've seen him in in concert. He still wears the uh, you know the high the uh, platform shoes and whatnot, but. Uh, I think Seeger gave that up a while back. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, fun. I, I felt honored to, to have been at one of your top five shows, at least at that point of your list. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so many good, so many good Bob Seeger memories. But that show, especially getting to see, you know, Peter Wolf and Jake Isles was so oh good. Oh my God. Well, little did we know they, you know, they wouldn't really tour again after that tour. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. They were supposed to come back and they canceled it and then he passed away. So that, I feel really lucky. That was. You know, they're not the biggest fan in the world, but that was absolutely very high in my bucket list to see that because I had loved them forever. But you really knew their catalog going way back. And to hear them jam on Give It To Me, I mean, I'd, it was it was amazing. Oh, yeah, that was good. They did Detroit Detroit Breakdown, which made it oh, yeah. uh, made it special for me. Um, yeah, I, and this, Steve, it, mostly, Steve, that is that is one live album I, I do like. You can't oh, go yeah. wrong with the Jay Giles. No. Yeah, uh, no, you can't. Uh, were they all? They had like what three live albums? I think all mm -hmm. recorded in Detroit, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Boston. Uh, I was at Boston. Well, they're the from Boston, Boston but uh, I thought I thought anyway, the Boston I, Garden was someone. 
Yeah, it could be. It could be. My mom had one of those. In fact, I still have it. Uh, her vinyl of uh, one of the uh, wasn't wasn't the most popular one, but uh, one of their live albums. Um, but uh, I yeah, just I, just... I just sent that picture to everyone here. You can see it <laughs> if you guys are take a look. You guys see yeah. you can see Bob Seger with Alice Cooper. <laughs> oh god love bob seeger man look at that smile um i was just gonna add too we you talked about queen a little bit i don't know that there's been a podcast we've recorded yet scott where queen hasn't come up in one way or another and um uh we saw uh, gregor well our families together saw yeah. saw queen and adam lambert in uh in maryland right outside of dc right we we hung yeah, out for right. a few days in dc and and saw that show uh and uh i'm so they're coming to they're they're playing Columbus, I think, too. But uh they're, oh, I haven't seen they them. Are, that, they are. That was a special night. I, I loved being able to see them with you. And that was that was my son's really first proper rock concert. I yeah. think I took him to see Sting at Ravenna up in Chicago. But that was a proper rock show. And they were, you know, in middle school, and that was a good way to start it out. And they they really liked it. But the thing that I remember about that show is it was packed. It, it was. was the most people I've seen filling every possible inch of an outdoor venue, spilling out beyond kind of the confines. And I remember we waited quite a while for the, it to get dark and the show to start. We saw this drone kind of hovering over yeah. us and we're kind of joking and waving at it. And this is a couple of years ago. So drones were on, you know, every street at that point. And then a day or two later, I, 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 think you somebody you maybe i found it online a shot taken yeah. from that drone overlooking this sea of people um it was it was pretty cool yeah that was a that was a great show and uh yeah if, uh, if you get a chance to see him this summer i i have tickets Love for to. uh for tacoma i'm excited to see the tacoma dome i hope it's just this you know wood, wood and i we grew up <laughs> around the silver dome and um right. just remember you know kind of the smell and that you know the air and all this weird stuff i'm hoping to have a similar experience at the tacoma dome i don't it doesn't have the roof like the silver dome with the air but uh anyway so, so you uh, haven't seen anything in there yet no, I haven't. I just drove by it uh, yesterday, actually. It's coming back from a, a Gloria Sun show up in Seattle. And uh, so, yeah. And the smell will be legal. <laughs> yeah, it will. Yes, it will. Uh, so, um, so hey, Gregor. Uh, I, so, we, we, were, we were texting back and forth a little bit, uh, compiling the list of the rock docs that we, that we watched through, through the years, uh, several years that we were, we were doing this. And, yeah. um, boy, I forgot how – I forgot some of them. And such an eclectic – eclectic uh, uh list of, of of documentaries you know one thing i wanted to ask is are, are you guys do you consider yourselves just in general like movie buffs are you guys you know do you, do you see a lot of movies you watch a lot of movies you up on like actors and, and things like that uh i i very much am and yeah. and you know our the other guy in rock doc group Dave is too. So we're always kind of astonished that Steve, you, you were not, and no. you could not hang when the, when the conversation went in that direction, you just kind of clammed up. So we ended up not talking about movies a whole lot, but, um, but I, and I, I like documentaries. I mean, for people who care, uh, this is a golden age of documentary filmmaking. Yeah. It's almost as popular as traditional narratives. I mean, and, and Netflix has really created a market for that. And it's, it is an easy way to learn about a lot of interesting and obscure things if if you make time for it. So I'm a big fan of of the genre. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
from my standpoint, you know, if you'd, I think this kind of all ties in, you know, you, you guys kind of laugh at me when I said I hadn't seen documentaries in probably 20, 25 years. It's really the same thing with movies. Um, I would consider myself 15 years ago, a very large movie uh, mm. fan um, in the last 10, 15. I think it's just because kids growing up, um, being involved in sports and everything. Same thing with music. Really haven't been to a lot of concerts in the last 10, 15 years. So it kind of ties in with the whole documentary, which is kind of, I'll be honest with you, the whole um, uh, doing this podcast has really been a rebirth for me in a lot of this <laughs> because <laughs> uh, just music, concerts, um, and I'm probably going to go see four or five concerts this summer. I, I can't tell you now with my son being 16. We're going to check out some stuff and yeah. um, it's just pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, I would like to get back into some of this stuff. So I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say uh, because uh, I would like to get into some documentaries are so good. It's just actually taking the time to sit and watch them, which, you know, when you guys had this event going, I'm sure yeah. it was pretty cool. Get a few people together and, and just hang out. It was probably a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. It, it really was. I think the thing that's that, makes documentaries so compelling is the idea that that truth really is stranger than fiction. I mean, some of this, some of the docs that we watched about Ginger Baker, uh, about uh, Superman, Shep, Shep Gordon, you, you couldn't make up the stories that these guys lived. So as much as I enjoy, you know, traditional movies, these are better because they're real. Right. Know? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's interesting you say because I know Gregor. That's kind of why I asked. I know you're a big movie fan in general, and as you mentioned, yeah. I, I am not. Um, <laughs> and uh, but I have seen. I've always liked documentaries, but um, I, I have found, like you're saying, like with Netflix, there's so many now, and oh, yeah. um, and even I always feel even a good documentary on something that I'm mildly interested in, you know, a topic or a person that I'm mildly interested in. If it's a really good documentary, I'll get sucked in and watch it. Uh, yep. So I watch more documentaries now than I probably ever have. But yeah, still not a big whatever you would call a drama or whatever, a, you know, a, a fiction, fiction movie. Uh, not not usually a thing I, I go after. You know what it is for me? It's kind of just the um, it's it's the inside information. And it's kind of like um, YouTube's got so much now, right? Yeah. So just like, it's almost like we talk about, Gregor, I don't know if you're into wrestling at all, but Steve and I talk <laughs> professional wrestling. You go on YouTube and you can see all these shoot interviews of people just talking about other wrestlers. It's the same thing in the real world, whether it's actors or musicians. I literally have, and that's where I kind of sent you the note about Van Halen. I mean, you could sit here and pull up videos on David Lee Roth talking about Sammy, Sammy yep. talking about David Lee Roth, and it's real. You know, it's these guys' experiences in the band, but it's just fun. You can, you know, see an eight-minute video. So when you tie that together in a documentary, like you said, it's real, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, so I, I don't know a lot about wrestling. I mean, I, I <laughs> here's the funny thing. Senior year in college, my, uh, my buddies and I became briefly obsessed with uh, the was it the gorgeous ladies of wrestling? Oh, yeah, glow. Yeah, glow. Yeah, because that was on local TV, and we just loved watching that. But, but the thing that got me <laughs> kind of re interested again in wrestling was when the Mickey Rourke movie, uh, The Wrestler, came out, yeah. which I thought was one of the best movies I'd seen in, in in years. And that's one of those movies. If it's on TV, I'm watching it at any point that I get into it. And I think the reason it works so well is it 
feels like a documentary. Right. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Have you seen that, Steve? Oh, yeah. I think I've two or three times. And well, I'd ask you because it's a movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, listen, there are certain movies I will go out of my way to watch. There are certain movies I'll watch over and over. One that we watched for Rock Talk, Spinal Tap. I've probably seen That's that, right. you know, a dozen times. I don't know. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a great movie. And I wanted to get my Guns N' Roses plug in. Uh, Mickey Rourke got special permission to use uh, Sweet Child of Mine when he came to the ring in that last match. Is that right? Yeah, he and Axl Rose are buddies going way back. Um, huh. They were just they were just photographed at a boxing match a few uh, few months ago. So they kind of look alike. Yeah, yeah, just, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, they've got probably some similar. Uh, I would think there's some similarities there. They both look like they've been punched a lot and then maybe <laughs> fixed up too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh. So, uh, yeah, so getting into the rock, rock docs. So, so, you know, one, one thing, and, and, and probably Gregor, when I look back at it, much like this podcast, even more than the rock docs, and I want to get, I want to get into some of the specifics of those, but probably as, as much or more than the rock docs, I enjoyed the conversations about music around there, right? <laughs> Hitting yep. pause and being like, that's wrong. Or, you know, what are you guys <laughs> saying? That can't be right. That's, I disagree with that. And, um, one thing, when you listen to music, you it's kind of passive, right? Uh, at least nowadays, right? Usually, I don't think we're sitting in front of the stereo, staring at the cover art and things like you, you know, maybe back in the day. Yeah. It's it's more of a passive thing. When it's when it's a documentary, it's a little more active, and certainly when we're watching those together, right? It is a very active conversation going along with the movie. You're concentrating on this, and yeah. and, and you mentioned talking about uh, the grunge movement, and that's one. We talked about that, I think, like our very first podcast, some, but it's something we haven't come back to uh, on the podcast. We haven't come back to a lot, but I know me, you and uh, Gregor, you, you, Dave and I talked a lot about that. I think you guys yeah. like, like needling me about that a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, so fun to talk about music. You mentioned uh, Beware of Mr. Baker, which yeah. was a documentary on Ginger Baker, uh, the drummer uh, of, Cre of Cream, of course, and um, – I didn't know much about him as a person. Quite honestly, I really wouldn't have been able to talk about his style of drumming until we saw that documentary. And then I've never been able to listen to, to Cream since then. Right, so, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the music and then the personality, it was just like it flew by. It was so good. It, it was. And, and the thing that got me was – I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. Anytime Cream comes on, I'm I'm listening to it through a completely new filter, knowing a little bit more about that guy's life and what a cranky guy he was <laughs> and what a, but what a torture genius. And, yeah. and then at the end of his life, he devoted himself to African music yeah. and he created these relationships back there. And you can see that that was part of his, his style all along. And I mean, yeah. You know, it was just fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And um, fun fact there, I think through watching that documentary, I was talking to my mom and she says, oh, yeah, you know, Cream was the first. We're talking about rock concerts. She says, Cream was the first concert I ever went to. I'm like, you saw Cream live, mom? She's like, yeah. And then I was talking to her brother. Her brother saw Cream as well, but it was a different show. And they only toured for like three years. I think they right. played Detroit three times. And so she was at one show. Her brother was at another. But um, any you think of like Rush or some of these three piece bands, 
that cream that the, the ginger baker documentary and talking about cream really helped me understand how a three-piece band works together and how a drummer like ginger baker can can really air out in the style that he that you know that that because to him i think it's so connected to his personality that person he is he's an he's able to let it out in his drumming because there are only two other musicians there Mm -hmm. eric clapton similarly right this great guitarist right you can hear him and he can he can influence the music in a way that you that he wouldn't be able to if there were there were another one two three musicians musicians on stage well i mean everybody knows that there's a special connection between the drummer and the bass player yeah but when it's a trio it is an equal part right i mean it is not this thing kind of in the background he is very much uh, present yeah 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 so that that was that was one that uh that really really stood out in my mind um so maybe maybe switching gears uh for uh to another documentary that we watched um was it might get loud yeah. And so what the you want to talk about who who was in that one? So, let's see. It was um it was The Edge, yep. uh Jack White yep. and uh, uh Jimmy Page. Yeah, Jimmy Page yeah, from some, Zeppelin, some, right? Some guitarist, some British guitarist. So yeah, Jimmy some Page. Guy that <laughs> yeah. And you know, it, and it was it was cool because I don't I don't I probably know less about Jack White the contemporary than than either of the two other guys. But I am a big U2 fan, and it was very cool to see Edge sort of elevated in that room. The, the thing that I remember about watching that movie, it's about these three great guitarists talking about contrasting styles and their approach to, to what they do. And I think this was one of those moments where we paused the button the pa- to chat a little bit, where we realized, these guys don't agree. <laughs> you, you know? and, and I'm like... Am I right that Paige seems kind of annoyed with what Edge is saying? You know, they they were sort of competing to sort of represent their individual styles. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. That's totally three three totally different styles too. Yeah. Right. And, you know, it's funny too, like when you think of, okay, all the, all the things Jimmy Page has been involved with and, you know, that was probably what, what, one day, I don't know, maybe a few couple days that they went in and filmed, you know, he probably forgot, you know, 90% of what they talked about, but here we are hanging on, on every word. And um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I'll be honest when, when I watched that one and Jack White, I like some white stripes. I know some of the Raketeurs and some of the other stuff he's done, you know, a little bit. He's a Detroit guy. So, so I, you know, I have a soft spot hmm. for him, but I thought, you know, like this is my opinion. I'm like Jimmy, pa- like those those guys should be should be tying Jimmy Page's shoes, and uh, that was my opinion as a guitarist. And and um, it was interesting, like you're saying, like. I mean, there's three guys on camera. So from that perspective, they are equals and uh, yeah, how they're different styles. And they were, they were showing each other some of the parts they played and they played a little bit at the end, which to be honest, uh, together that, to be honest, I don't remember that part so much as, as, um, I, I think of all the, 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 the threesomes that you would love to see thrown in a mix like that and just see what comes out. And I'm not a movie maker. Maybe, you know, three-fourths of them would, would be garbage. It just wouldn't gel. But that was one. I don't even know if that one gelled completely. It, it somewhat, I, uh, somewhat did. I, I don't I, – I agree. It was, it was really interesting. It didn't gel entirely, but I think that's what makes it interesting. And the thing that makes it a puzzle is a point you just made. You go into it thinking – 
Jimmy's a god. Th- these guys are, are are a step down and should be in awe. And but if you think about it, think about how many more albums Edge has played on. True. How many more albums that he's sold? How many more concerts he's played? How many more people he's affected directly? How many more years he's been actively touring? I mean, if if you think about it in terms of exposure and body of work, just sheer quantity. It's Edge. Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm not saying he's the superior guitarist (laughs) at all. I'm just saying, look, it's just interesting to compare and contrast. Yeah, quantity for sure. Yeah, gears, right? You're talking, I mean, uh, active, actively making music, what, four or five, depending how, you know, Page had, Mm -hmm. you know, Coverdale Page, Page Plant, some other things. But uh, yeah, but but, but decades longer. my opinion, you talk quality. I mean, there are very few bands ever that could could top uh, Zeppelin. Um, so, uh, you know, that's 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 my opinion. But you know, so speaking speaking of you too, like uh, Gregor, I know through a lot again a lot of these conversations. Would you consider you two your favorite band of all time? Or it's it's way up there. I mean, yeah. I'm a I'm a child of the of the early '80s. Uh, so yeah, as far as rock bands go. Uh, it's you too, and then you know that I've I have a very deep and special place in my heart for the band Devo. Yep, yep. and that that could be a conversation all all of all on its own, um, because that's one of those bands that when I was a skateboarder and I was about thirteen years old, hanging out at my buddy's house, he had an older brother who who had all of the new new wave albums, and that's what I heard in that period of time where it just gets in there at a genetic level and never lets go. Um, but yeah, you two and Devo are, and they're odd bedfellows, but yeah, I'd say, say for sure. And I've seen you two many, many times and, uh, and I'm never disappointed. Hey, hey, Gregor. Okay. So I'm yeah. gonna jump in here. Um, I can't argue with you. I can't have any really true debate because I don't know enough about the band. Um, yeah. so I can't, when you say the edge and all the compliments, I can't cause I've never followed them. But me personally, U2 is, I've said this publicly and I've said it privately with friends, they are probably my least favorite, biggest band of all time. When I say like a, the, the biggest band, most popular bands, they're at the bottom for me. For some reason, they just, I just have a major issue and it's not, not anything real. It's, it's, it's just, I just never liked them. But what my what I'm looking to be is being enlightened. That's why these podcasts are great. Is I'd love <laughs> to hear your take on them because I would like to be enlightened and learn more about you know why why they have such a following. Obviously, they have a huge stadium. Uh, yeah. uh, that's their thing. Um, they are considered one of the biggest, if not the biggest, rock band today. I, I know this is a documentary show, but I would like to hear your take because I, I can't debate you, um, but I just like to learn <laughs> and understand what the what the aura is about you two. Uh, so I think it's a, a it's a combination of things. Um, but if I had to boil it down to one, it is their live performances. Have yeah. you had a chance to see them live? No, and no, exactly. Because I have no yeah. interest. So that that would be yeah. that would yeah. be okay. Okay, the live. So okay. it, 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 I don't know if you'd love it, not knowing the catalog. Honestly, I know their catalog, but, but only the mainstream stuff, not the not yeah. the deep stuff. I just I just yeah. turn it off. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they. So, 
Yeah, to each his own. Yeah. I will say no. that the, the, the band's been interesting for a long time. Um, they experiment. They yeah. take risks. Um, sometimes their their studio work uh, doesn't turn people on, but they never lose their fans. Um, they they are such pioneers in the live show. There's no trickery going on. There's no backup singers. There's no additional keyboardists or a second drummer or a rhythm guitar player. It is four guys. It is only four guys. And somehow those four guys fill a stadium. And Bono, his voice is big and bold and almost operatic. And and he has not lost it. It is as good today as it was 30, 35 years ago. It is it's incredible. And then, of course, there's the stagecraft. I mean, I saw them in Madison Square Garden four or five years ago, uh, and it was, it was astonishing. So the, these, guys, these guys never dial it in. I mean, they bring something new to every tour. I saw them twice on the, uh, on the last tour uh, around Joshua Tree, where they just played that album. And uh, it, it, was, it was extraordinary. So, um, you know, I do think that they, they are, they're an issue band, you know, so if you believe right. in, in music doing more than just, uh, you know, let's get drunk, let's get laid, that kind of thing, <laughs> they are not, they're not your cup of tea because that's just not what their right. message is. And it's never been that. It never has that's been, yeah. It, probably. That's probably part yeah. of it. And yeah. I, I'm not a fan of Vonnell's voice, but again, that's just an opinion Ooh. that I have yeah. no, I, I don't, yeah. Oh, there's a reason that South Park made him a huge target because he's a very righteous guy, and 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 that turns some people off immediately. Right. Um, I, I'm I'm kind of on the opposite side. I think that if you've got a platform and you can do good, and he's done a lot of good, um, that that's something to be admired. Um, here's the other thing that's interesting. I I I am not deeply Christian person. I don't go to church. Christian music turns me off. But there have been people who say that they are subversively uh, the most Christian band yeah, ever. I've heard um, that. That there is a Christian undertone to some of their songs and an interpretation that's there. They don't hide their faith. And I kind of like that too. I mean, I, I don't share their faith, but I admire that, uh, that, that, that it's important to them and that they don't uh, shy away from it so yeah they're, I've heard they're that, yeah. weirdly rebellious in their own way um and you know again it was one of those bands i listened to their first album uh boy in october when i was 16 and it's it imprints on you early and um you you think you know, these guys from ireland what are the odds that you'll ever get to see yeah. them well little did i know they were playing the new york newport music hall when I was in middle school, mm. uh, downtown Columbus, Ohio. Did you see um, them at Newport? I did not. Uh, okay. If I yeah. had a, if I had a uh, time machine, I'd go back and see yeah. them and the wow. heads, you know, as cool. they were as they were coming up at the Newport. But um, I don't. So that's the best defense I can sure, give you. Sure I totally get it that some people don't dig him, but a lot of people do. Oh, I know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's that's exactly right. Hey, Gregor, I, you know, if you don't yeah. mind, I, I wanted to go even a little, maybe maybe out into some other bands or even a little before. You mentioned some of the early U2. Be, yeah. and, and talk a little bit about New Wave in general. Because, uh, so U2, uh, I'll give you another, Scott, I don't know if yours is similar. Um, Joshua Tree blew up when we were like in sixth and seventh grade. It's funny. 
I didn't know anything really about you two, but I remember seeing the video for where the streets have no name and something about Bono's charisma just really made an impact on me. It wasn't, yeah. the, it wasn't even the voice. It wasn't, it was just like something's really unique about this guy. But um, my intersection with, with them was it was, it was, the popular music during that time. In fact, I va- I, I vividly remember listening to Casey Kasem's Top 40 and, and, and hearing him talk about, you know, oh, this band from Ireland, whatever. So um, I didn't know anything before then. Um, I, where maybe we'll get into Talking Heads because I know that was one of the rock docs we we liked. You know, you yep. mentioned Devo as well. Um, for like me, New Wave, we were we, Scott and I were pretty young. You know, there was Blondie. If you consider her New Wave, I'd love to hear your some of your opinions. But um, so you know, if Duran Duran, some of these other you know, again more popular bands, um, mm-hmm. that was that was kind of what I understood. Um, what I understood New Wave to be was just how it how it uh, blended into or it, it crossed over into into popular music but you growing up when you did like what was the impact that that new wave had was it was it was it a rebellion was it like that they were trying to change the scene was it what what did that music mean to you so i can only say what it means to me i haven't i haven't read it about that era as much as I think you have in some of the eras that you love. But I will say that New Wave came on the heels of punk, Mm -hmm, okay? mm -hmm. And as a sixth or seventh grader, punk was a little scary. You know, it was very British. It was very Sex Pistols. And it was, I wasn't going to bring that into my house. And I I wasn't a rebel by nature. Um, I was a pretty happy kid. Um, So New Wave was this it was it was sort of the extension of of punk it was a different sound it was kind of modern it was futuristic it was digital i've mm. always been drawn to digital stuff i think it kind of came along about the same time just a theory that the first home computers the Sinclairs, <laughs> the early macs yep. and i think maybe some of the like in television and some of the yep. early computer games you could bring into your house that had six bit, eight bit sound. So like the idea that, you know, you were, even though Devo started as a traditional drums and guitar band, they quickly morphed into early electronica and digital experimentation. And for some reason, I think because I was, I was a skateboarder and I was a video game kid, those things just all kind of congealed at the same time. Yeah. And I liked it and they were fun and they, they were, they were a little bit, they were less nihilistic and more about possibilities. Mm. And so you got Gary Newman singing about cars, Mm. not about the, about the queen and how, how she should die. You know what I mean? Like, like it was just a different message, but the thing that I loved about Devo in particular was that it was mine. Like it was not a mainstream band. I mean, when Whippet came out and became an early MTV favorite, that was still from their third album. Mm. And and I love their first two albums much more because me or my this group of friends that I had and I, maybe four of us, were literally the only ones in our school who knew who this band was. And we kind of protected it. And it, it was ours. And, and I go to Devo shows and you talk to people and there's a community there and you can tell that they feel the same way about it. It's precious to them um, because other people didn't get it. Hmm. Yeah, and Devo is from. They're from Ohio. Is that right? Yeah, they're from. They're from uh, Akron. Akron. And yeah. so, and, and the, the 
This is an interesting piece of trivia. I, I remember we were in high school when MTV first came out. So we'd race home even at lunch just to catch <laughs> even 20, 20 minutes of it yeah. when they had maybe 10 videos total in rotation. And Whippet was one of them. And one of, if not the first uh, drawing that, that MTV hosted, like where you sent in your name and a, and a phone number and you entered a contest to win a special thing was to see Devo live. And the winner that they pulled out of their hat live on MTV was from Akron, which I thought was awesome. (laughs) And I thought that's so funny. And I mean, and and it exposed Devo and it gave away our, our secret and still people didn't really get it or embrace them. But um, I, I could talk about those guys forever. Yeah, um, the the new wave. But seemed that's, like, but that's what new wave was to me. Yeah, it seemed like that was kind of a, a it was a movement, but it also kind of got in the mainstream as well. Like, um, like I never got it. Like, were you into like Morrissey or anything like that, or was that a totally different deal? So that was that came a little later. Okay. Like uh, Smiths and New Order. I mean, it was it was around that time, and I I think that's kind of the tail end of new wave. Okay. But, yep. Um, I really loved New Order. I didn't really appreciate Smiths and Morrissey until later, um, but they became kind of the definitive sort of mopey pre-grunge college yeah. band, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and it's but very very clever and very subversive. And um, but I I almost didn't get them. It took me a few more years until I was a little older to appreciate what they were doing. Because you could argue some of that new wave stuff was really kind of tied into all the mainstream MTV, you know, tears for mm-hmm. fears. Um, oh yeah. You know, yep. all of that. Um, well, those guys got video. They, they embraced. Yeah. Well, D- Devo was making crazy college music videos before anybody. Right. So it's not an accident that, you know, they were re- and same with uh, talking ads. Yeah. I mean, once in a lifetime was one of the original constantly constant rotation videos of, you know, David in the big suit. So, um, I think those guys were young. They were into technology. They were into experimentation. They weren't into just showing themselves playing the music. They were doing something more. They were creating art. You know, it's fun. I'm kind of glad this got brought up because I don't, I, I don't, I never dug deep into the new wave stuff, but I kind of dig it. I mean, there's some cool stuff. Yeah. Um, it's one of those like just probably again through this rock doc and just sitting down with some people like we're doing right now, having a conversation. It's cool to talk about some of this stuff. Cause I think that's, that's a genre. If you want to call it that, that kind of gets lost mm-hmm. in the shuffle. You know, people talk yes. punk, people talk grunge, people talk hair bands, but I don't, the mm-hmm. new wave is kind of one of those ones you don't hear a lot about. And it was a critical part of history in that era, you know? Absolutely. I totally agree. And, and yet when, when you turn into some of the, like 80s channels on Sirius XM, it's a ton of that stuff. Right. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons that it it, it doesn't in, endure is that those guys don't tour very much. Mm. Um, they don't embrace it. They 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 moved on. I mean, and, and even when they do, I'll give you an example. I went to see a, a New Wave reunion show in San Francisco about, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago. And it was... Bow Wow Wow, mm. Flock of Seagulls, Devo is the headline act, 
there were three, two or three more others. And it was it was Halloween in San Francisco. It was amazing. Um, but Flock of Seagulls, dude comes out looking like any other rocker. Right. We're like, dude, we want the big shoulders. We want the big white hair. Yeah. We we want we want the image. And and that's the thing that the hair bands get. Like they don't they they kind of at least I think they kind of embraced what they were then yep. and they bring yep. it forward and 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 Devo gets that. Devo is absolutely the band we fell in love with. The the nerds and the, the glasses and all that, and the glasses and the Energy Dome red hats. They they never forgot fan service. But some of the other ones I think did, or they wanted to evolve. And unfortunately, you know, if you're playing your old music in a new look, it doesn't make sense. That's a great mm. point. Yeah. I'll say this though, I have not seen them touring, but my sister has seen Duran Duran on tour in the last year or two, and she said they were incredible and very much what you want to see from from a band from that era. Are, are most of their uh, bands still intact, or are they kind of got different pieces there? Or are they pretty much intact? It's almost all the same wow. guys. That's pretty uh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Duran and Devo was Devo was too until. Uh, their guitarist died of cancer a couple years ago, and that they have not toured since then. That was tough because they were they were two sets of brothers and then another guy. Ah. And anyway, they're in the process of. There's a documentary being made about Devo right now, and Steve, when that comes out, we I will fly to Portland right. and we will watch it. Let's together. do it. Yeah, I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. But you mentioned Duran Duran. I mean, gosh, they were on top of the world for two, three years, something like that, right? I mean, oh, yeah. reflex and all that. Um, and, yep. and, you you know, you listen to, you, you hear some people talk, man. Duran Duran is like, that's it. That's their Rolling Stones. That's their Beatles. That's, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Depeche um, Mode. Depeche Mode. Yeah, that's another. Oh, right? yeah. And they and see, like, I know personal Jesus because that really crossed over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I ever met a, a diehard Depeche Mode fan, you know, that's probably like bottom of their list because uh, maybe they like <laughs> the song, but they're going to, you know, know a hundred others that that I wouldn't have even heard of. But uh, you mentioned, yeah. uh, Gregor, that's interesting, too, with the digital and mm-hmm. and and all of that happening at that time. Um, yeah, that makes so much sense. And, and I was going to mention MTV. You you mentioned it because, like you said, yeah. they got it. Uh, you know, they're they're there's like that classic rock or even probably punk too. Like they're classic rock bands and, and and punk bands. I think that that didn't understand what MTV was and right within a, two three years got left in the dust. Really. Yeah, yeah. You had to have that image on there and love it or hate it. I mean, that's. It changed the landscape of of the way music was marketed and, and talked about and exposed completely. And you could argue that it that there were downsides to that too. But but you know the ones who got it, you know, did did very well. Yeah, one that sticks out to me still this day is, uh, and you can't. I mean, it's it's a it's just it's a historical video. Is the Aha video right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Take on me. I mean. Yeah. That's still something you think of from that era, but they got it. It was a video, right? That's right. I think I saw an app well, where you I, the could thing that you I put your own video the early, and then the in animation the days, would it's like a band like Well, uh, Dire Straits. Yeah. So, you know, they, they came out with Money for Nothing, and that was a song about MTV playing on MTV, and it was the first video to ever use computer graphics animation you remember those kind <laughs> yep, of the, the garbage those man. Kind of mine, the, minecraft looking yep, movers yep. <laughs> i mean and, and dire straits was like the chillest man in the world but that's the funny thing about mtv is that it gave you 
kind of a, a false sense of a band like Dire Straits was very different from the image that they portrayed. Yeah. And, that, and plus the music was different. I feel the same way about Jay Giles band. Yeah. I mean, when, when freeze frame yeah. came out, that was the Jay Giles band I knew from the, and it was a fun party album. But, but when we saw them in concert, Steve, the energy completely left the arena when they started playing songs from that yes. album. Uh, you're, 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 yes, you're 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 complete. Well, and, and Jeg Isles, if you read their history, they yeah. they 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 splintered after that that album because they made sure. as so many bands do. And who can who can blame them? You know, you're 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 probably riding in a van playing East Coast uh, bars in front of yeah. you know dozens of people, and you know who can blame you for wanting to to make a pop sounding record? It blows up, and it's that just that just decimates made the band they because jeg Isles, i think he left soon after freeze frame came out and yeah. um and uh they were never they were never the same but you know at the same time that's probably where their biggest royalty checks come in from but uh, okay. yeah you're completely right in fact i think it was centerfold that i, I remember peter wolf he almost like apologized he's like oh here's this song and they were like you could tell they're like can't wait till this one's over um, yeah yeah exactly no question so, there so hey, so so a few more uh, as we we have some time here. A few a few of the yeah. other uh, docs that uh, one I wanted to to throw out there. This was a great just movie altogether. Was the Sound City documentary about uh-huh. the uh, the um, the studio in Los Angeles? Yep. Um, that uh, and then Dave Grohl famously did he did he buy just the board or did he set he up bought the board? Okay, yeah, yeah, but that was a great one. Well, I think that's the one that started the whole rock talk okay. tradition. I mean, okay. after Zeppelin, I think you, I think you might have found that one, invited us over, and we said, "Hey, this, this, we need to do this again," because we that that told stories I'd never heard. Yeah. I didn't know that much, honestly, about music production. Um, you know, the albums just sort of exist, you know, and you you don't realize that some of the absolute great ones all happen in the same room from petty to nirvana to uh fleetwood mac and and it was a it was a gross place i mean it was you know carpet covered walls but it had this (laughs) one-of-a-kind soundboard and a weird distinctive sonic you know, construction to it that, that really has never been replicated since. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you're, if you're recording music, you'll, uh, you, you don't care where it is. If, if, if the, uh, if the acoustics are right, you'll, you'll record there. Uh, you'll queen some, many of their albums where they ended up buying the studio. Cause I think it was in danger of being torn down. Was that a basement in, in Munich, uh, Germany? And you, you see these documentaries they are in this basement playing Scrabble. It's dark. It's awful. It's horrible. <laughs> But it sounded good, and they had a they had a German producer for this is their stuff in the eighties, and uh, the hotel's still there. The studio's gone. It was in the basement of this hotel. But um, yeah, the sound studio, just like you said, it was. Didn't they? I, I think it was the drums. They're like, this is the spot. They're like, this is the spot. You can't get the right. drum sound anywhere else. And I forget who was yep. talking about all the places, all the studios. They tried to recapture to capture that same sound, and, and they just couldn't do it. Um, and so that's another, that, that was a documentary that, uh, I I highly recommend, uh, that listen to. And one that we didn't watch together, but I'll throw out there is the muscle shoals documentary. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. of course, like sweet home, Alabama, you know, uh, uh, Skinner's famously, you know, muscle shoals, they got the swampers 
again, Bob Seger, huge Bob Seger's fan. He recorded a lot of albums down there, and so did the Stones. And maybe that's a nice segue into uh, the next documentary we can talk about. But the Muscle Shoals documentary is another great uh, piece of, of history capturing a, a, a great studio with a great sound, and in that case, some amazing yeah. players. Um, but so, yeah, maybe a next uh, next uh, transition into uh, Crossfire Hurricane was another mm-hmm. one that we watched. So um, I, I forget what year that Stone show was at Ohio Stadium that, uh, uh, again, Dave, who we keep talking about, the uh, our, our third person in, that we would get together with on Rock Doc, our, th- our three families uh, kind of, I don't think we sat next to each other, or at least I didn't sit with you guys, but we all hung out before the show and walked over to Ohio Stadium and saw the Stones. And I think in preparation uh, for that, we, we watched the Crossfire Hurricane um, documentary on the Stones. Yeah, that was a good one. And and that the thing that's interesting about that is that Crossfire Hurricane, I believe, is just made up of recently uncovered tour footage. So it, it doesn't have really any kind of voiceover or a strong narrative. It's just an assembly of this footage that people hadn't seen in, you know, years, decades. Yeah. And it shows it shows the band young yeah. and it shows what life on the road looked like. And as as sort of, you know, rock fantasy as it was, drinking and drugs and, and women and airplanes, they looked pretty exhausted a lot they of the did, time. Yeah. And, you know, for every minute that they're, you know, sort of enjoying the trappings of it, there's some weird downtime or mix off in the corner writing lyrics by himself on, on a piece of scratch paper. You really see how the sausage is made. Yeah, no, you're you're exactly right. You mentioned how they're tired. They just, yeah, it didn't seem glorious. It didn't seem glamorous. Um, no. I yeah. I remember that documentary. One line that I loved is Keith Richards. He says, "Well, the Beatles got the white hat, so you know what that <laughs> leaves us. We got the black hat." I just love that line. I thought that typifies everything like the sixties right there. That one line. That's, that's it. You don't need to say anything else about the Beatles and the stones and who they were and where they, where they different were different. You know, that said it all. I remember that moment because then that reminded me of an interview that I read with Richards that was more recent where everybody's, constantly saying which is the greatest band of all time is it the stones or the beatles and he said it's and we talked about it that night Mm -hmm. he said you know we're two different bands we're a guitar band they're a voice band Mm. i thought that was an interesting distinction for him to make that is interesting that is interesting huh you know, it's funny. Uh, we did a couple with our friend for Art Fader. We did a couple episodes of the podcast on the Eagles. And I think in the podcast and even subsequent text messages back and forth, that was our friend Fader. That was a point that he made with us. Is he, to me, because I was like, you know, guys, again, it's kind of as I got older, like the Eagles don't have that, you know, that rock sound that I've, I've really, you know, f- found that, that mm-hmm. I, I relate to. And, and Fader said that exact same thing, too. He said, they're a voice band. He said, it's all about the harmonies that's right and i was talking about man these songs are three chords i can play these three chords it's you know what's special and he's like it's the harmonies dude it's right yeah yeah he's he's totally right it's funny you mention that because you know my son garrett who's a high school senior he is really into singing and he sings with a vocal group of 
really talented kids and about 20 of them. And they, they sing these incredible harmonies. And I was trying to tell him about bands that I really like where, you know, he, he kind of listens to a lot of throwback music for the harmony, classic harmony stuff. And I said, you know, you should listen to Green Day. They have some amazing harmonies in their music. And he stops me and he's like, no, dad, what I need to listen to is the Eagles. Because <laughs> <laughs> one of his, one of the guys that he sings with is a huge Eagles fan. And he, I'm like, yeah, you're right. You'll never, you'll never do better rock harmonies. Than yeah. That. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Didn't your, your sister, uh, she lives in, uh, speaking of Eagles and, you know, Glenn Fry passed. Is that, gosh, is that two or th- two years ago now or even? Not, but but she uh, she lives in uh, in, Aspen. in Aspen, right? And so and Glenn lived a lot of his time there, right? Yeah. And uh, did I did I ever tell you my my one Glenn Fry story? So uh, I do you want to hear it? <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> so yeah, my sister is a chef, and and uh, she owns a catering company in Aspen, and her mentor. 20 years ago was the private chef for Glenn and the Eagles when they toured because Glenn was a fixture in Aspen. So when they were on their first reunion tour, which was, I think I'm going to say 93, 94, 94, uh, they were coming through Cincinnati and my sister was going to be in town that weekend. And she called up her friend who's traveling with the band and said, can you get us some backstage passes? And he said, yeah, no problem. So he arranged it. I'd never been backstage at a rock show. Um, so I, I'm all in. So uh, Julia and her her boyfriend, who's now her husband, and I go down to Cincinnati to Riverbend to see this show. And as I'm driving down to Cincinnati, um, listening to the radio, trying to get psyched, they're playing Eagles. And, you know, they report that the Eagles aren't getting very well along very well on the tour. And, uh, and I'm thinking, oh, that's just... You know, DJs being DJs, creating trouble. I'm sure they're, I'm sure they're getting, they're getting along fine. But you know, the rumor was they weren't even, they couldn't even be in the same room at the same time. I'm like, oh, well, whatever. I bet it'll be a good show. So we go down. Um, show's fantastic. There's actually an intermission, and that that's the point where she, where he said, "Come on down, and I'll take you backstage, and we'll see if the guys uh, want to say hi." So we get, we get down there, show them our badges. The the uh, the guys at the gate say you can come, but you got to leave your beers. Uh, we can have no no alcohol anywhere back here, or J- Joe, it will be a problem. <laughs> so we we put the beers down because Joe Walsh can't have beers near him, and he's like, we'll we'll go back and say hi to Glenn. And we walk down this corridor backstage, and there's Glenn Fry, uh, sitting by himself in a room. <laughs> with his food and I look at three or four more doors down the corridor and they aren't, they're, they're not together. They're each in their own room. We chatted with Glenn for a while. He was as nice as, as you'd imagine he'd be. He was real cool. And then we went out and saw the rest of the show. So that's my Glenn's Nice. Story. I knew. Yeah. You, you told me yeah. some of that before. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Wood, Wood and I in high school, we met uh, uh, Fry and Walsh outside of a, a radio studio. They were doing some promotion. They had a show that night that we actually went to as well. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we, uh, we, uh, we got to meet them a little bit uh, different. It was more bombarding them behind. We didn't have any backstage passes. We were more bombarding them outside the mm. limousine. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> yes, parents. Yeah. And we met his parents. 
Yeah, we met Friday. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Again, if, if yeah, if you talk about bombarding. Yeah, that was completely uh, invading their privacy. But uh, anyway, they uh, didn't call the police on us, so we're still oh, that's good. We've lived to tell about it. Um, hey, Steve, why don't you talk a little bit about Superman? Because yes, that's the one yes. that, that seems sort of out of left field. And I, I got to say. Of the entire list that we've got here, I think that one may be my favorite. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I was actually going to go there next. Um, I think I heard him. Uh, so, so Shep Gordon is a great story. Watch the documentary to get the full, the full, uh, the full story. But he uh, he has been has been Alice Cooper's manager since what late 60s something yeah. like that from the beginning yeah from yeah. the very beginning it still is to this day um and alice cooper of course you know came from detroit went out to arizona uh couldn't make it i think they were out in la they finally came back to detroit and uh, yeah because they were out in la because that's where they met chef gordon and they finally made it in detroit and alice cooper to this day will talk about how shep was was so instrumental uh shep was they, they were the story something like they're in la at this at this pool and uh jimmy hendrix is there uh, i think janice joplin was in the mix at some point and shep i don't know if shep was even what he was even well i think i know what he was doing he was he, he wasn't managing bands he was he was helping the bands with some maybe illegal activities i think that's what he was doing mm-hmm. hanging around there yeah. and uh so anyway i uh, have the alice cooper band at that time is going basically nowhere uh they meet him um shep says hey i'll manage you they have nothing to lose and and the rest is rock and roll history but uh uh, sure. So he's, if you read, and he wrote, I believe he wrote a book too, I read. And then I've read a book on Alice Cooper as well. I can't remember where, you know, all these pieces, but I know Shep Gordon has, uh, he basically, if you, if you listen to, if you, you know, if you, if what I've read is true, he basically started the celebrity chef phenomenon with, um, uh, who's the guy, the bam, that guy, um, Oh yeah, uh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. So, like, in Emerald, Emerald, thank you. Yeah. yeah, Emerald. So, him, Emerald, and several other chefs, and and he talks about uh, how he kind of uh, used some of those same skills for managing Alice Cooper, and 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 uh, yes, he did. He did write a book because he talked about managing some other bands and different genres of music as well. But. Um, yeah, a, a completely amazing story. Uh, Shep, Gord, uh, Shep and Alice will both say never signed a contract. They've never. Mm. They, it's always been on handshake and trust and 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 uh, just just agreements verbally. They've never signed anything, and yet whatever fifty years they've been able to uh, to work together. But uh, yeah, that was a great documentary. In fact, I think we watched that in Dave's basement, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And, well, the, and the best thing about that one was the genesis of the documentary itself, which was produced by Mike Myers That's right. of, of Saturday Night Live fame. That's so right. Myers entered Shep Gordon's orbit when he was making Wayne's World. That's right. And they, des- they desperately wanted Alice Cooper to be in this movie. And that wasn't going to happen unless they somehow got Shep to agree with it. And Shep was resistant. Eventually, I think Myers sort of charmed him. But Myers, you know, his his stardom has faded in the last 10 years. But there was a period where he was a very, very, very successful and influential movie maker and comedian. And, and he's known to have a very considerable ego. But Myers is in awe of Shep Gordon. He just basically considers him 
a guy who somehow miraculously gets things done. He's a fixer. Um, he's he's a friend with everybody, and now he's turned into this great philanthropist. Yeah. And and I don't think the movie. I think Shep was perfectly happy being completely unknown and mm-hmm. behind the scenes until Myers just insisted on telling his incredible life story. Yeah. Well, in the Wayne's World story goes that uh, Mike Myers wanted one of the hits, and and Shep Gordon said. I think he wanted school or schools out. Yeah, they, they, yeah, that could be. But Chef Gordon said, "No, I'll I'll do it." But but the song's going to be "Feed My Frankenstein," which I think right. in a previous podcast we talked about this somehow because "Feed My Frankenstein" it was new, is, wasn't yes, it? it was. It was exactly. It was a current. It was a current uh, current uh, single and and or, or upcoming single, whatever. But uh, that song is still played in Alice Cooper's shows every time I've seen him. <laughs> and uh, who you know, I'm sure had it not been in that movie, it would have never. Uh, reach the That's audience right. and probably wouldn't be in the set anymore. But um, yeah, that was such a uh, such a great movie. Alice Cooper, just uh, what a story! And and, and uh, Shep Gordon is right in the in the midst of all of it. Alice Cooper, he openly talks about in the seventies and his battle with addiction. And Shep, I, I think it was it was really touch and go whether they could work together because Shep had just tried everything, and uh, but still he stuck with with Cooper through it all and. Um, and helped helped Cooper get clean, and I mean that was again. Well, his first show back was in Detroit, actually uh, sober, uh, and he's uh, whatever that is forty forty years sober or something like that now. And uh, yeah, credits a lot of that to Chef Gordon. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that one up because I, I definitely wanted to talk about that and how uh, how good it was. Yep. Um. So let's see here. We're, we should probably be finishing up here. Maybe. Uh, uh, yeah, maybe one that will, well, I, maybe two more here. The first I would maybe like to ask you about, Gregor, is is Stop Making Sense, which is a Talking Heads doc slash live live concert uh, uh, movie. Mm-hmm. And I know that was what you brought to the party, and, and and you you really you really wanted to watch together. And I didn't know much of anything about the Talking Heads, and just seeing them live was like, wow, this would have this would have been a good time. Yeah, it's really not a documentary. It's it's a true concert film. And there there are a couple of interesting things about it. First of all, it was one of the first movies ever made by Jonathan Demme, who went on to direct movies like Philadelphia and Silence of the Lambs. So uh, it, it had a very talented filmmaker behind it. And they shot the movie, uh, I think, two or three different shows and then edit it together to get the angles that they wanted. So they'd shoot one show from the left, one show from Uh, maybe the right, one show straight on. And then I read recently that Demi actually wanted them to then do another concert in a soundstage (laughs) so that he could get the precise shots that he want. And the band said, no, it's not authentic. We we want it to be absolutely real. So he, he respected that. But the thing that's interesting, there are two interesting things is, um, it, it starts out, it, it's like a deconstructed rock show. So the, the show starts with a, a, a boom box and, and David Byrne. So the boom box plays a drum beat and it's just David Byrne with an acoustic guitar. And he plays Psycho Killer that way. And then as they do more songs, more band members one by one come out until about you know five songs in. Now you have a full a full band with drums, a, a, a percussion section that's separate from the drums, 
an incredible set of backup singers and then and then the other three players in the band and 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 it, it and there's just an energy that builds over it and then kind of climaxes with once in a lifetime and and a couple other songs at the end and it's just this it was the first concert movie i ever saw um and it again that early imprint it, it's very special to me personally but i like people to see it because they see what incredible live performers they are and how good they sound live but but here's the interesting thing david byrne toured last summer and played at uh an outdoor concert hall near Huber Heights. Um, Scott, help me with the name of that place. That's the uh, Rose Music Center? Rose, yeah. Nice and I'd place. never been to the Rose nice before. Place. It's fantastic. It's basically like your typical outdoor venue, but it doesn't have right. the grass section in the back. It's just the pavilion. So it's a much more mellow, yep. much more intimate experience. And Burn comes out and, again, put on – an amazing, very Talking Heads-like show um, where he, again, introduced an, a, a different group of musicians with each song. Some of it was his own stuff. Some of it was old Talking Heads hits. But this was different in that every single person was mobile. So from the drums, the guitars, everything uh, had wireless mics. So they were in a constant form of choreography moving around the stage. They were never set and just um playing uh still for more than uh, a few bars at a time it was it was an incredible performance i've never seen anything like yeah that. wow that's so unique putting something like that yeah. together right how uh how complicated that must be just to even think of that and invent that huh. yeah yeah and and uh, th- my other david Byrne story is we saw him tour the last time he came through uh it was about four days after 9-11 and, you know, you remember after 9-11 happened, pretty, people pretty much stayed inside at home where it was safe. Yep. And we were all adjusting to this tragedy. But at some point, you actually have to get out of your house and try to get back to normal. And Byrne played, I don't know, February, or I'm sorry, September 14th or 15th or something. And at, at the Newport, Steve, wow. on High yeah. Street. And Jamie and I went because we'd already bought tickets months earlier. And that was the most cathartic mm. experience I've ever had. He didn't dwell on the tragedy. He just put on a joyous show. And you could feel in the crowd kind of the angst just sort of melting away like we needed this mm-hmm. thing. But but they very famously have a song called Life During Wartime. And when he played that song, it it had an extra sort of – intensity that i've never felt at any concert since hmm. Hmm. yeah that's awesome. and and he was just and you know he's an enigmatic character like he he has claimed that he will never uh reunite with the heads and believe me that that would be a reunion tour that would do really really well <laughs> um and he just won't do it and the other members want to um and he just has moved on and so you'd think that he wouldn't be a a, a gracious guy but when you see him as an individual uh, in concert, he is. He's incredibly warm. He's incredibly generous to the other performers, to the crowd. 
And, uh, but, but I think, um, stop making sense is sort of the start of all that for yeah. me. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. You think about, uh, we talked about the Zeppelin reunion, the 07, o, the, the 2007 02 show being the only, the one off, right. When I think it wouldn't happen, the expectation was they would tour, but similar to what you're saying, like with talking heads, the, the, these, the, you know, these artists that won't get together millions and millions of dollars. Gosh. And in, in Zeppelin's yes. case, we're talking tens, if not oh, hundreds of yeah. millions. Hundreds. And, yeah. I mean, even you know, individually, and it's just so interesting how uh, the artists, uh, just people, right? I mean, this how how they think in different. Uh, I'm not saying right or wrong, but different principles that that, that they have, and uh, yeah, it's fun fun to watch as a fan. It's frustrating, you know. I mean, like you look at you too, and it it is service to the fans, and it is. G- giving the people something that they love and cherish. And, you know, Robert Plant is very dismissive. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, it, but at least David Byrne will play Talking Heads songs that he wrote and he'll share them on his own terms. But I always feel like it, it's a selfish act. And, and mm-hmm. Robert is entirely entitled to feel that way and to want to do his own thing. I, I saw Elvis Costello a, f- a few years ago and, and, he was he goes way back but he he plays all the hits he knows what people want to hear and he was a cranky rebel he was sort of a he sort of crossed over punk to new wave to something his own genre really um and he's a very independent minded guy unfortunately i think sick because you don't hear from him very much i know he's had health problems but but he he never resisted going back and giving people what they want to hear. So it's just such an enigmatic thing that a handful of people are like that. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think it's Robert Plant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Gregor, I remember we were having rough some rock docs with during all of the Guns N' Roses, uh, at least 60% reunion. That's right. And, yeah. um, you know, I think I said on the podcast, unashamed, I stood in the front row in Las Vegas and cried my eyes out. Uh, just yep. the fact, and it was because it, I was so close. You could see, uh, you could see to some of the getting used to playing together again, and it was it was the human part that I mean, it was great hearing the songs, but it was just the human part. I'm like, you know, this is no different than you know my buddies from high school or whatever. Like it's 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 they're they're just it's great to have those those bonds and and be able to uh, to play together, and then that energy that the, the crowd just feeds off of. Uh, I kind of have a theory that like when you go see a Fleetwood Mac, I mean, they're older than we are uh and they're bringing it. And if they can get old and bring it, we can get old. Yeah. Well, you know, I just saw them Monday, uh, this past Monday night at, at Madison Square Garden, actually. Talk about that. Yeah, a bit. yeah. So, um, as I, know, I remember when you went and saw YouTube bit a, a bit on a whim, right, uh, in Madison Square Garden. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I remember exactly. us talking about that. And um, so Ben walked by Madison Square Garden a hundred times, but never, never been inside. So I happened to be there for work, and um, it was a g- game time decision because tickets were so expensive. It was sold out, and secondary market was expensive. But I was watching mm-hmm. during the day they were coming down. I had a work thing that night, and I didn't want to disrupt that. And then it, that ended, and I, I I bought a ticket and went over to uh, uh, to to Madison Square Garden. And yeah, it was so it was cool to be at Madison Square Garden. I'll have to admit, you know, other than the, the roof being so awesome, you're just kind of at an mm-hmm. arena you know in the 
you know, my opinion, the greatest city in the world, but right in the middle of it. But, but, um, but uh, Fleetwood Mac themselves, but getting back to some of the discord and whatnot, you know, they famously kicked out uh, Lindsey Buckingham before this yeah. uh, tour and so forth. So uh, the uh, I forget his name from from um, Crowded House was actually mm-hmm. um, um, saying saying Lindsey's parts and then played some guitar. And um, but then Wood and I both, you know, it's huge Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers fans. Um the uh so mike campbell and i knew this that he was touring with them plays lead guitar and see i hadn't heard about that i heard about the the guy from crowded house but that was a surprise yeah oh yeah and so mike campbell i mean oh it was just so great to see him oh it was and and you know i have to say uh some of those fleetwood mac songs you know rumors i mean we uh, gregor you and i were texting a little bit what a classic album and those songs are great and fleetwood mac has so many great songs i'll have to say though uh to if not the two most uh, memorable, certainly two of the uh, two of of the of the most memorable were um, were uh, Crowded House, um, Don't Dream It's Over. Um, so mm. uh, Mick Fleetwood gets up and he says a really nice thing about how this song uh, helped him through a hard part in his life. Didn't know who sang it. He found out later and so on. And oh. um, you know the crowds, hey now, hey now, yeah. that was cool. Mm-hmm. And then I knew this was coming. In fact, this was pretty much the reason I was, I would, because I was like, you know what, I, I'm gonna make it even if my dinner, my my work thing goes late because I'm still gonna watch the encore because I knew the first uh, song of the encore was Free Fall. And um, mm. so Camel comes out and he says a little something and uh, they're showing video and, and pi- uh, pictures, I guess, of, of Petty up there with Stevie Nicks, with Mike Campbell. And and uh, so, I mean, I, I don't think, the whole, you know, a lot in the crowd probably didn't even expect it. So the place just went nuts. Um, in fact, I think it was the New York Times. I read a review and it said, uh, you know, that was the that was the highlight of the of the night. Um, so so that was cool. But, uh, you know. Gosh, Fleetwood Mac, so many great songs. Um, you know, Mick Fleetwood, I think he's 71. And drumming is such a hard instrument to, to keep up with. There was another drummer, you know, as a lot of these big touring uh, ensembles yeah. have. Um, but Mick Fleetwood, from what I could tell, he kept up the entire time, which was crazy. He's still, you know, he's so crazy, weird. And, you know, he was still, he talked at the end of the show for another five minutes, thanking everybody he had this red hat <laughs> and red shoes or whatever. And so just, uh, just, uh, just, uh, just a character. So yeah, great show. Um, you know, if you're, I don't know if they've been in, in Columbus or Cincinnati, but, uh, I, I recommend it. All right. So, hey, uh, to, to finish up uh, the documentaries, and we didn't quite cover all of them. We covered a lot of them. Uh, mm-hmm. But one was – this was one of the last, if not the last one I think we watched, was the Sgt. Pepper's Musical Revolution. And uh, that one was great. I think you would re- like DVR'd mm-hmm. it off, off PBS. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know what? It's funny. There were some Rock Doc nights where we had quite a few cocktails. <laughs> and – I, and I don't remember that much from that one. <laughs> um, so you tell me because I think I'm a bigger Beatles fan than maybe you are. And yeah. I'd, I'd love to hear what you took away from that. Well, so I, I think it was released because it was the 50 year anniversary of it. Yes. And um, one of the, and, and I, there were like five, six Beatles albums that I just, I just love. Sgt. Pepper, White Album, probably my favorite. Uh, Revolver, 
um, uh, Rubber Soul, uh, Let It Be, and probably Abbey Road. I would say those are the ones that I know, cherish, love, can listen to start to finish. And and Wood and I talked a little bit. When we were in high school, Beatles, they weren't really even in our radar. Is that a fair statement, Wood? Yeah, I would say, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't be alive and not know the Beatles, but um, – I mean, even some of their, you know, like something like come together, like, heck, I probably knew that more as an Aerosmith cover than, cover. than mm-hmm. yeah, or back in the USSR. I mean, even like, you know, the mainstream rock songs that would have kind of been in our wheelhouse, I don't even remember getting into, then, then you know, maybe 12 years ago or so, I had a coworker that just at that time gave me a flash drive and said, go educate yourself, son. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is history. But, but, um, so, uh, I, but my point there is I, so I, I know the albums and yeah, I've read some books on them and stuff, but you know, the, you, <laughs> there are people you, you could study for, for decades and never know everything. So, so I, I am, I'm far from an expert. Um, but here's what I remember is before, uh, what, what album were they coming off of? before uh before sergeant pepper do you know gregor offhand i think it was magical mystery tour okay. but i'm not sure i'm not i'm honestly not sure that makes sense um but i they 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 uh released um strawberry fields and penny lane before uh they recorded sergeant pepper so i think they kind of just went in so this is what i remember from the documentary is that they were like oh uh you know we're, we're just kind of heating up for the next album we let's let's drop a couple uh couple songs just because we got them kind of rattling around <laughs> and they're they're mm-hmm. penny laid strawberry fields you know so so they put these out i remember um i remember them talking about how they changed john's voice on strawberry fields and then i think mm-hmm. it was on penny lane they wanted some effects you know this is all of course analog we're talking eight maybe 16 tracks they they sped up the tape they played the instruments at one speed and then like slowed down the tape for the vocals uh to to to, uh, get the uh the key they wanted just the crazy stuff you know george martin and everything all that stuff they were they were doing in the studio and then um you know, and then they go in in the studio and record Sergeant Pepper. That whatever fifty two years ago is still one of the most talked about albums of all time. You know, they had the they had the cover the cover art right. That, that's still still iconic. The costumes. I think they had changed their look, and then they had the the uh, the music to back all that up. Um, well, it's just anytime you get a chance to see the Beatles making their music. I mean, it's such it's so iconic. You you sometimes forget it was ever actually made, you know, it just, (laughs) it just always existed. And so when you realize that they were doing interesting things with John's voice and they were, they were just tinkering and experimenting and, and they had complete freedom. I mean, the fact that they were a huge band at that point and were not playing it safe. No, we're absolutely, I mean, that was a risky album. I mean, it was the most George Martin produced at that point. That's when he really went in on the strings and the orchestrations and they were absolutely unconventional rock songs and they didn't care that it just had to come out and it's just thrilling to see it if you were still here we never really get got around to like um hard day's night and let it be in the actual movies yeah and and i've i always i waited I, i was hoping that we'd have time to see those together um particularly let it be um because anytime you get to see them 
in the studio being right. themselves is, is special. Yeah, that would be great to watch. Um, and uh, I've seen footage of that, but uh, yeah, I, you know, another thing I remember from the dec- from the uh, documentary was that being for the benefit of Mr. Kite was like a poster that John saw maybe That's even right. as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing I didn't realize is Penny Lane was like, it was a street in, um, uh, growing up that they, that they, they just talked about the, what the, what the verses were and, and what they meant to them. And, and Sergeant Pepper, go ahead. Were you gonna say something? Well, I was just going to say that you're right uh, about for the benefit of Mr. Kite that you can find online uh, a copy of that 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 sort of marquee poster that he had kept, and all the lyrics are there. I mean, <laughs> he, he he just plucked him right off off the poster it's genius yeah i remember me you and dave i think that was when a uh, time when we paused and said i give up you know like, like these guys are such geniuses they read a poster and it's this timeless song so you know wh- wh- why would i ever even try to like write something creative because i'll never That's i'll right. never get there and and of course uh, uh sergeant pepper closes with day in the life i think that's my favorite beatles song of all time i you know catch me mm. at a different time i might say differently but i just think uh, guns and roses once again i always feel the way they could kind of glue two songs together i always point to a day in the life that they they had to have got that inspiration because you know john had a song paul had a song and they just how they glow it together they should it shouldn't work but it does it just shows the genius of these two creative guys that that uh you know we'll never see again in our lifetime and, and the and the engineering and finesse that yeah. went into that final yeah. sustained note. Yeah. yeah, right, right. That they really worked hard to get that exactly yeah. the way they wanted it. Yeah, to be. and they talked about that in the documentary. I, yeah. thir- Thirteen pianos or or something. I think there might even been a couple other instruments in there. But yeah, the way they got that. Um, yeah, like you said, not playing it safe, really going for it, not not resting on their laurels, not phoning it in, but just continuing to create uh, create a masterpiece. And they had more in them as well after that. So, all right. So, Wood, anything else to add here as, as Gregory and I have largely talked about our, our rock doc memories, our glory days? No, no, nothing. I got I to gotta get on it. Catch yeah. up here. Yeah, we got to all go to see a U2 show together. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> I, uh, you would have to pay me a lot of money. Wow. Wow. No, I'm and in. And I thought I was fairly persuasive. <laughs> uh, uh, so no. so let, me, let me give you guys one before we sign off, uh, because I believe in, in getting outside your lane from time to time, whether that means a U2 show or the thing I'm about to talk about. So... Speaking of documentaries, have you ever heard of a movie called Dave Chappelle's Block Party? Dave Chappelle, yeah, but that yes, I think I've heard of the movie. I've not seen it. So he's the comedian. Yep. Yeah. He he made this flick, gosh, it's probably almost 10 years ago. It was right before he disappeared. When right. He, when he chucked it. Yep. Um, yep. And, and this movie kind of came out when he was disappeared, but it was put together before and of course, he disappeared here to Yellow Springs, Ohio. But um, oh, that's right, yeah. But Dave, so I've never really quite understood hip hop music. I liked early rap, but you know, it's become this phenomenon that's the biggest music in America right now. And but I like Chappelle. I think he's funny. I think he's interesting. He's a very smart guy. 
this this is an interesting movie about him deciding to do a free hip hop show in I think Brooklyn, uh, and he calls all of his famous hip hop friends, and it is a who's who of of the original hip hop sort of geniuses from the roots right. and the Fugees and Questlove's in there and uh, everybody. And then he goes back to Ohio and he invites random people to go to the show and then he, and he buses them in. So he yep. brings about two or three buses of, of friends, strangers, but people from the community, including uh, a marching band from an all black college near there and on his dime, and then he he throws this street party. It rains the whole time. It's nearly a disaster. Word gets out. All these people come, and and it and it it exposed me to hip hop and what makes it special because there's behind the scenes footage of these people. It was actually, I think, a reunion of the Fugees, and I it started to make sense to me and. The, the joy and the connection between the crowd and the performers interspersed with Dave serving as MC over this very multicultural group that he assembled as the crowd. It's just a very interesting, uh, joyous experience. And it opens your eyes to stuff that at least I didn't know anything about. Mm. So I highly, re- highly recommend it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That sounds good. All right. Well, hey, Gregor. Thanks so much, man. This yeah. is this is great catching up and and getting a getting a different viewpoint on some some different uh, genres of music and different aspects of music. Um, so can't thank you enough. Um, you know, is there any uh, you know anything else you want to add? No, this is this is cool. I mean, this your your podcast really feels like an extension of those rock dot conversations. Yeah. So I'd say keep it up. It's really really fun. Good stuff always comes out of it. I've never been on a podcast. I I listen to them all the time. So uh, thank you for uh, letting me a part be a part. Yeah, of it. that's it was, awesome. It's great. Yeah. And Scott, it's great to meet you. And no, you too, man. This is great. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Have a good one, man. Hey, uh, thanks. thanks again. Uh, Next week, we got to come up with another episode here, Steve. We'll figure that out this week. March Madness? I don't know. Sweet 16? Hey, everyone (laughs) have a good week. We'll see you next week at Remember When. This podcast features a song, Take the Lead, by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License.